The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... Normally, outside of pregnancy, if I was going to have, say, a burger, I'd have like three or four units of insulin. When I was eating a burger, say, at seven or eight months pregnant, it was like 12 units, 13 units of insulin. And I'd have to pre-bonus nearly 40 minutes, 50 minutes before. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. As always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back every single week and a credit to you for coming back every week because it proves that you are taking action consistently on aiming to improve your health, your fitness, and your diabetes management every single week. So the guest that I have today was a guest that I randomly met and we touch on it in the podcast itself. But basically, Claire was somebody who I saw training in my local gym and she was training really hard and and pumping the weights and I saw a Dexcom on her arm. So as you can imagine, I obviously went up (laughs) and started talking to her. We had a great conversation and we've been in touch since. And basically, Claire recently reached out because she has recently had her son Kai and wanted to share her story around her experience with the pregnancy and her ins and outs around insulin resistance and sensitivity and the drastic change in management that can and does occur when somebody living with type 1 diabetes is pregnant. Really, really insightful episode. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot personally, which I always love doing on these guest episodes. And another point <laughs> about this episode. So about 45 minutes before we recorded, I, well, I had been to the gym earlier and I came home and my blood sugars were kind of trending lower. Now I didn't drop massively. I was just dipping under range, but it was one of those lows where you feel as if your entire body is melting. So 
I was sitting on the couch, I was laying on the couch and I was thinking, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this podcast? <laughs> because my brain was completely fried. Um, I then ended up lying on the ground and falling asleep for about five minutes as my blood sugar was coming back up. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was a struggle to get the energy for this episode, but I was chatting to Claire for a good bit before. We both got the energy going and a really, really enjoyable episode. A fantastic person. She really knows her stuff. She's super passionate and you're just going to get a massive amount of value from this episode. So enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it and I'll speak to you shortly. But look, like I said, I've been looking forward to this conversation and I know we kind of randomly met and it was one of those encounters where you see a quote-unquote diabetic in the wild and you're like, oh, that's somebody with a a CGM. And I saw you in the gym that day and I saw you were training hard and you were pushing weight and you were really into it. And then I saw the Dexcom on your arm and I was like, no way, there's another diabetic. So I had to go over to you. So how has life been since we since we met yeah it's uh it's been great i mean i was over in ireland for uh all of march basically to see my family and uh had a great time and uh since i came back to australia i kind of realized i was pregnant so since i got back uh just been working at that basically but it's been very good although i have had a very different life to what i'm used to because like I was monitoring my blood sugars and being very careful about what I was doing. And I kind of stopped exercising, which was a huge part of my life, you know, and uh, had to kind of readjust to that. But uh, yeah, life is very different since I met you. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, I can can only imagine. And it's quite clear to see. But one of the main things that I kind of wanted to touch on with you, Claire, first, first of all, was the fact that you were obviously so heavily into fitness you're so heavily into you know as you say yourself bodybuilding and training and being aware of the food that you eat and all these different aspects of of fitness itself but was that something that you were into prior to being diagnosed or was that something that you got into because you were diagnosed yeah that's a good question i i was very active when i was in school so like i played a lot of hockey i feel like my life is full of extremes i i played a lot of hockey in school I played for the like the Leinster team and things like that and it it was really intense for many years and then when I finished college I kind of stopped and kind of went into a phase of just like working a lot and going out a lot so I kind of dropped off fitness but when I was diagnosed at 26 I, I kind of just kept putting my head down you know like I I was like kind of wanted to ignore my diabetes like still treat it but like I didn't really come to terms with it. And when I moved to Australia, I had a bit of an epiphany and I was like, I have to take care of my, my mental health. And as a result of that, I got into the gym and I started kind of like running on the treadmill and like doing various different things. But I've realized that I was kind of goal oriented person. Like when I was playing hockey, it was, I wanted to get on this team. I wanted to play for this club. Um, so I realized that I need to have a goal for myself. And uh, I was like, okay, let me lift some weights. I kind of want to, I want to get strong. I want to get toned. And as a result of that, I started following people on Instagram, as you do. Uh, I started following people like uh, Seabum, obviously, Dana Lynn Bailey, all of these kind of like 
powerlifters, Linda Gets Strong, that kind of stuff, even Chris Rudin. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to set a few goals for myself. I want to lean up. I want to build a little bit of muscle. Um, and I just got really into it. I just like every week was like, okay, I'm seeing results here. You know, at the beginning, you just see so many results and then you start to stagnate and you, you kind of wonder why. Um, and then you start reading about like hormones and how your body adjusts to it and strength training and bulking and eating all the right foods. And I just became fascinated by it. And, you know, it kind of, it goes hand in hand with, with diabetes, right? Because you've got to understand how your body works um we're wearing Dexcom so we see like oh when you eat bread you kind of elevate a little bit you uh kind of you know realize that if you stay elevated that you're going to burn some of your muscle mass so it incentivizes you to become a better diabetic and things like that so when I met you I think I was about four or five years into my my fitness journey my my gym journey um and I think I was just like three days off the plane or something. And every morning I was like, oh, this is going to help me get rid of my jet lag. So I'm just going to go fly fit and get a 30 minute workout. My mom was like, you're absolutely mad. <laughs> She's like, why are you going? You know? Um, and I was like, look, it's part of my, it's part of my prescription. Not only am I taking my insulin, I'm oh. also getting that workout in because I know that it's going to help with my insulin resistance, going to help my mind. It's going to help me connect to my body and people start to get it then it's been hugely beneficial for me. And like, yeah, when I met you that morning, I was probably having a bit of a bit of a day and just wanted to get a bit of aggression out and feel better after it. As you know, like the endorphins yeah. are just so helpful, you know, and you just spend your whole day kind of like humming along and, and seeing that your blood sugars are level the whole day and, and just feeling really good. So, yeah. 100%. And I love how you, you use the word prescription because that's exactly how I feel about it. And it's like, I almost find it difficult to imagine what what my life would be like in general, but what my diabetes management would be like if I wasn't so into fitness. Personally, and obviously yourself, Claire, like we're massively into it and it's what we love and it's what we enjoy. But it's so important that just even any diabetic listening to this right now, you don't have to pump the gym six days a week, but simply just exercising consistently is quite literally one of the best things you can do for every aspect of your health. And as much as I do love going to the gym and training and exercising and these kind of things, I literally view it as medication, like almost as important as my insulin because it has almost that much of an impact on blood sugar. So how do you feel or have you even thought about this? Like, how do you feel your diabetes management would be if you weren't so into exercise? Well, I can't even imagine it, to be honest, because it's <laughs> such a big part of my life. Uh, but even as a, like, you know, even as a non-diabetic, when I moved to Australia, I, what I really noticed was that people are really health conscious here. And you can see it in like the restaurants, you can see it in the way that people get up early to go for their walk, followed by gym and drinking their water. And I realized that like when I lived in Ireland and when I was like, you know, going to school, that there wasn't like a huge emphasis on, of course you have PE, which is like the, the turning out <laughs> of the field and they go, yeah, run around for an hour, see you later. Do, but, do a few laps. <laughs> yeah, do a few laps, yeah, see you later. But they, you don't really get much there's no emphasis on the 
nutrition. There's no emphasis on, you know, your long-term health benefits, even if you just go for a walk every day. There's no kind of emphasis on the like long-term of your own health without even having a, a long-term illness like like diabetes, you know? So I think that like everybody should have something, you know, if they want to have uh, a good health for their whole life, you know, because eventually it'll catch up to you. Eventually you're going to, your metabolism will slow down. Eventually you're going to get fat and you're going to, you know, you're going to get <laughs> soft, right? But obviously as a diabetic, you have to be a little bit more conscious of that because it does even out what your pancreas doesn't do, which is that like, you know, you're, you're kind of overcompensate, you're starting to overcompensate for the, for the exercise that you did that morning and then it levels you out. So even if I wasn't a diabetic, I would say that like, eventually I think, you know, you, you just, you, you would let yourself go. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not even something I can imagine. I feel like I'm kind of rambling here, but. Um, you're not, you're not. Yeah, I think that uh, everybody should incorporate is basically what I'm trying to say, you know, uh, some mm. form of exercise. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, like, of course you feel the benefit of it immediately, like after training or after a run or whatever, because as you say, you release endorphins and you feel better. But you really notice the benefit when you yeah. do something consistently. Like we said, it doesn't have to be going to the gym six days a week. Even if you just increase your step count by like 3,000 extra a day consistently, you will just feel so much better. And it's so important. And it's like when I'm a big believer in like when I feel better, when I'm in a better mood, when I'm more energized, when I'm even more rested, I find it easier to just deal with diabetes in general, you know, yeah. and I, I find it easier to deal with like the highs or lows that are thrown at you, like the thoughts long-term that you might think about from time to time. These things are easier to deal with because you're just, I feel in like a, a, a better mental state. Just to add on to that, it's kind of like, you know, you have to push yourself a little bit because if you don't, then it's going to go the opposite direction, right? So like if you're not consistently doing something which involves physical exercise, eventually you're going to sit a little bit longer on the couch you know, it goes the opposite direction. You're going to sleep in a little bit longer in the morning, you know, and then it comes to the point where like you're kind of doing next to nothing. So I think it's important to be conscious of like trying to like push just a little bit of your goal setting or like your discipline to, to get out there and, and want to feel good, not just look good. You know, um, when you look at yourself in the mirror, and you ask yourself, do I actually feel good? And if the answer is no, it's like, what can I do to actually do that? Drink more water you know, go out, get a bit more vitamin D, those kinds of things, you know? So yeah, it's just so important. You have to push yourself a little bit. Do you feel as if you had that epiphany when you went to Australia because of what you kind of saw going on around you in relation to fitness or was it something kind of like more personal or what did you mean? Yeah, by that? it was a bit more personal. Um, so like I, I started working in a very competitive company um, when I was in Dublin. And then I, I, my goal was to move to Australia, like to work really hard and, and to move over there. Um, and then when I got there, you know, it was kind of like I kept working hard. Like I never gave myself a break. And uh, after about a year of living in, in Sydney, I, I kind of had like a, a bit of a breakdown. You know, I was like, I'm not doing anything for myself. Like, 
it was like nothing was kind of good enough in work. Like I just kept wanting more appraisal, you know, more, you know, of something that I didn't have. And when I had that breakdown, I read that book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh, I love it. Love it. Oh, that's great. I only had yeah. to read like three or four chapters to be like, oh my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And when I read that book, I was like, okay, every day this week, I'm going to leave at four instead of five, you know? And every day this week, I'm going to do something for myself. And then it got more of a, I got more of a balance. And then that's kind of how I figured out that I needed more in my life than just work and that it had just taken over. And then that's how I started going to the gym and and everything kind of went from there. So it was a personal thing. I just, I've realized that I'm a bit of an extreme person and I need to be, be careful of that and that uh, things suck me in and I have to make sure that I have a balanced life instead of just like 80, 20 all the time. You know what I mean? Like 80% work, 20% party and that's it. You know, Uh, it's not Mm. sustainable. So yeah, that's Mm. kind of like how I ended up realizing that I needed to have uh, a bit more mindfulness in my day-to-day routine. When you're talking about that, I'm obviously thinking about how I feel about it and my, my own perspective with it because it, it's it, it's very similar to, to how I am, I feel. Um, I find it really difficult to not do work. I find it really difficult to not, like, keep pushing and pushing and pushing, you know? And yeah. my work, like, my, I would, <laughs> I would describe my work-life balance as 99% work, 1% everything else. You know, which obviously isn't a good thing, but I find it incredibly difficult to switch off. So when you were kind of going through that transition of, you know, push, 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 to then kind of being more confident to, or even just more relaxed to take a step back, like, what, did you feel as if there was resistance towards that initially? Um, I felt like if I wasn't working like 12 hours a day that I wasn't going to perform as well. And it was very hard at the beginning to be disciplined, to leave things at the door. And there were times when like I was being sucked back in, you know, by colleagues or like there was something urgent. Um, but then when I set those boundaries over time, it became easier and people realized, Hey, Claire leaves at four now or clearly is a five now. She doesn't stay till seven, you know? Um, and I performed better. Like that was the weird thing because I was taking care of myself. I would go into work with the biggest smile on my face. I would feel so good. I was so much more available for the problems that were coming in front of me. Um, when I had those boundaries in place. So in the end, it actually was better for me and it was better for my work. Um, and it allowed me to like have room for like more people and friendships and connections. You know, you know what they say about the, you know, when you're working in like a fast paced corporate life, it's like 50% relationships and 50%, you know, talent. When you make those relationships, people want to work on projects with you more and they want to do, they want to give you more responsibility. And that's what ended up happening. So yeah, but you know, your work is a little bit different because you're working with something that's very close to your heart. Whereas, Mm. you know, I'm working for somebody else to put money in somebody else's pocket. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
yeah, that, I suppose that can be the difference with it. And that's even kind of how I feel about it. It's like, I like love what I do and I'm absolutely obsessed with it, which is a fantastic place to be. But it's also like just pros and cons because I always feel like I should be doing something because it's what I'm into anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I'm articulating this correctly, but it's because I love what I do and because I'm so passionate about it, I feel as if work is obviously work, but it's so difficult to just like relax. Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you feel as if, Claire, you are almost like an innately kind of driven and hardworking person? Or did that stem from you getting diabetes and kind of having this focus on the analytical side of managing it? Yeah, I think I was always quite a driven person about particular things. Like, I don't think I was very good in academia, for example. (laughs) So like, but, you know, on the flip side, like when it came to hockey, when I was really young, I was extremely disciplined for like a 16, 17 year old. Like I, you know, I played for a club, I played for my school, I played for Leinster and I was playing two matches on a Saturday and training four days a week. You know, it was very disciplined in that way. And I was very goal orientated and the the same thing happened with a couple of other things in my life, like music, you know, playing guitar. I wanted to be the best. I think that's a thing that I've always had. Like I just a little bit competitive, a little bit like, wanted to get to the next level and not giving mm. myself very many excuses not to get there, which is, <laughs> you know, I think you can relate to that. It's kind of like, you don't have much compassion for how you're actually feeling. Cause you're so worried mm. about the end goal, you know? And as you get older, you realize like, Hey, I need to have like a little bit of room. Like you said, like, mm. let's level it off. Let's have a little holiday, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. it can't be only two weeks of the year. It has to be, you know, most days you have to go check in with yourself and be a little bit more mindful. And I think over the years, that's become a bit, bit more um, easier for me to, to allow myself to do, you know, which is kind of how I got to end up having a baby because it's like, you got to have time to let yourself live your life as well and not just be concerned about those goals that you set for yourself, you know? Mm. Yeah. So speaking of, you having a baby massive congratulations first of all that's what i i we want to just highlight congratulations um <laughs> and for anybody listening basically claire had had reached out to me through instagram and just sent me a message kind of out of the blue we had been speaking back and forth but sent me a message out of the blue and i actually have the message here just to to read out so claire sent me a message saying hey on etc etc et uh, i'm not sure if you've had a podcast focusing on a type 1 diabetic pregnancy but I've been thinking about sharing my story publicly and thought of your platform. I'm flattered, by the way. Um, there's been so many highs and lows and honestly, a huge change in my life coming from very steady blood sugars, clean diet, exercise daily, daily to suddenly taking six times the amount of insulin I usually take for one meal. So I basically know nothing about Claire's pregnancy. Um, and that's why I wanted to jump on this podcast without much preparation just to hear her perspective and I think pregnancy in general with type one is one of those things that it can be daunting for some people it can be intimidating and easily dismissed for or by males living with type one diabetes because it's as we said earlier before we 
press record, Claire, it's not as relevant to us, obviously. But tell me more. Let's let's yeah. get the story started. I'd love to know. Let's get it started. Yeah, you're you're right. It's it's you know, before I even decided to have a baby, like it was one of those things that like was a little bit scary to talk about with a medical professional, <laughs> you know, because they'll go, you'll be a high risk pregnancy, they used to say to me. And when wow. you hear high risk, you're like, oh, Jesus, should I even bother? And it was, there was a lot of like, people weren't really, I felt like people weren't really talking about it. And to be quite honest, most of my diabetic friends are males. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not something that like, you know, I've had the opportunity to really discuss with anybody. And when I went onto YouTube, you know, there wasn't anybody really talking about it in depth. Um, so that's why I was like, oh, maybe it'll be interesting for somebody to hear my story. And of course, I want to disclaim this with like, every pregnancy is different. And I'm not a medical professional. And mm. my treatment was in Australia. So it'll probably be very different for anybody listening in, in any other country as well. But um, yeah, it was a wild ride. <laughs> okay. It was a really wild ride. But um, I had a lot of support here, which, you know, I don't know if I would have gotten the same level of care in even in Ireland, because I know that the system there is a little bit stressed at the moment. Mm. But uh, I had, I think, six or seven medical professionals working with me over the course of seven months. So it wow. was uh, it was a really intense experience, but in the end, a really positive one that I think needed like a lot of hard work to get to to the obviously amazing end goal, which is my son, Kai. So when somebody was, well, doctor presumably was saying to you, quote unquote, high risk pregnancy before you were even pregnant, did that turn you away from having a kid? Like, how did that make you feel? Yeah, a little bit. It doesn't bit. exactly fill you with confidence. No, it doesn't. Because <laughs> like, obviously, like throughout my whole life, I knew I wanted to have kids. And I always before, because I was diagnosed at 26, so the period before I was a type 1 diabetic, I always thought it'll happen naturally. I'll kind of decide on a, on a whim and, you know, I'll just <laughs> let it happen. You know, like Mother Nature will take care of it. Um, <laughs> but then when I was diagnosed, one of the things that the doctor left me with was if you're ever planning on having a baby, you need to see us first. And I always remembered that. And I kind of went on with my life, you know, lived my life a little bit. And when I came to Australia, I started seeing an endocrinologist. And um, one of the first things she asked me on the, on the consultation was, are you planning on having a kid soon? And I think around the time I was 29, 28, 29. And um, I said, maybe, maybe in the next two or three years. Like, I haven't really given it that much thought. And then she said, well, look, why don't you go see a um, like a specialist just to, you know, talk about what's involved? Um, and I was like, OK, sure. Why not? So I went and saw this woman called Amanda Bartlett. She's like a midwife who specializes in type one diabetic pregnancies. And um, she went through everything. And that was also daunting. And I think that put me off for another year or two, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, I have to be really ready for this, I think. You know, I need to be coming into it with a good HbA1c. I need to be coming into it with, like, like really good control and, like, real mindfulness towards it. Because when you come in, you have to have a HbA1c less than 7%, which I was already having. But you need to have the blood test. 
And then they put you on folic acid before as well. So you need to be taking that pretty regularly before you even start trying. So there's a lot of prep. So yeah, I, I kind of pushed it to the side for one or two years before I, I took the plunge basically and, uh, and, and started trying. So the initial preparation for it essentially, and obviously like the advice in terms of the place that you need to be at is A1C of seven or below, presumably. And then yes. do they kind of emphasize consistency with blood sugars and time and range and these kind of things or like, or what specifically were they saying, Claire, this is what you need to aim for before we even think about getting pregnant. Yeah. So they were very, very strict on the fact that I had to be below seven. And that's because that just increases your chances of um, having a miscarriage or a fetal abnormality. So they're very, very strict about that. And then when you do find out that you're pregnant, which is usually, you know, minimum three to four weeks, right, that you keep your blood sugars within the pregnancy range. And the pregnancy range is 3.1 to 7.5, right? And that is really hard to keep when you're first pregnant. That is so hard. And I'm going to be honest, I just couldn't do it all the time because your body is working so hard to get this fetus to start growing that you crave and you're tired. So your body's doing is on a completely different rhythm than what you're used to. So you know, I would wake up in the morning feeling normally before I was pregnant, feeling fully rested, ready to go, ready to exercise to exhausted and craving carbs and not being in the mood to go to the gym. So it was really hard at the beginning for me to stay within that range. And sometimes I would stay at like nine or 10 MMOL for like an hour or two, you know, injecting and being like, what's going on? And then that's when I realized I was pregnant because I was like, holy shit, like what's going on with my body? So yeah, they, they do tell you those things and it's very hard to stay within the boundaries of what, you know, they, they tell you to stay within. And when you meet a, a diabetic endocrinologist or a um, diabetic obstetrician, they're a little bit more realistic about it because they see diabetic women all the time and they know how hard it is. So I was really worried. I went in, I was like, I haven't been sticking to it. Like, you know, I showed my graphs on Dexcom. I was like, oh, look at this one. And they're like, it's fine. You just need to be like, you know, within a week, like within 85% in range. So if you went to bed, you know, you make up those during nighttime, if you keep it level, try your best to keep it down and keep it within above 80% in range, you should be fine. So it's hard. The first trimester was the hardest. And then you come out of that, your hormones are starting to stabilize. And the second trimester is like a little honeymoon and you can kind of enjoy it a little bit more, you know? <laughs> um, again, I feel bad because I'm putting people off, but I want to be like totally... I want to be totally open about my my experience with it. And of course, every woman is different, but my first trimester was quite a challenge. Mm. Like I wouldn't hear this and think this is putting someone off. Personally, you know, I listen to this as yeah. very insightful, very important, and a really detailed insight into somebody who has gone through a very difficult sort of journey, let's call it. Diabetes itself is difficult to manage. There are a lot of people listening who would really struggle to be at 80% and above time and range. And then 
adding on top of that, the fact that you are growing a child inside of you, impacting hormones significantly on a daily basis adds further challenge. So I appreciate you going into detail and I know anybody listening will too, Claire. So we, we, we appreciate it a lot. In terms of those kind of targets where you're saying like you were advised to be, did you say 3.1 to 7.5 millimoles? Ideally. Okay. So time and range 80, 85 consistently. Did you need to make any massive sort of changes initially, or do you feel as if because of your kind of fitness and health and active conscious living prior to this, you were already kind of in a good position for it? Um, I feel like, yes, because I came into it already knowing a lot about my own body, you know, and that's, I have the kind of bodybuilding stuff to, to thank for that. I knew what was happening, you know, like I I knew and coupled with like the type of hormones that were being released around the first trimester. Um, I knew why I was having elevated, you know, why I was becoming insulin resistant, things like that and what I needed to do. And it was really depressing. I'm going to be honest. Like, it was like, (laughs) oh, I'm going to eat this massive salad. I really don't want this salad right now. All I want (laughs) is like a massive Subway or McDonald's or something like that, you know? Mm. Uh, So I knew what I needed to do, uh, but it was harder than usual. It was just so much harder because usually I would be totally fine with like eating very well throughout the day and chicken breast and salad and rice and really good wholesome foods but for that first trimester all i wanted to do was eat pizza and subways and mcdonald's so i think the mindset was was the hardest thing to adjust to you know even coming in really fit and at a good weight and having managed my diabetes what i would say quite well i still found it hard to talk to myself and make myself do those things and go for the walks which I knew would level me out because I was so tired or eat the right foods because I was feeling like I really needed it. So it's kind of like a push and pull. You know what you need, but you have to talk yourself into it. Yeah, I can only imagine how difficult it was to kind of keep those cravings at bay. And particularly given the fact that it's like a relatively long process too, where you're going to be experiencing those type of cravings. So like, what were you saying to yourself? How did you keep yourself on the track that you needed to be. That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 